0: You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. Going through the story of the book of of, uh, Genesis, uh, in the story, it's called the story of Jacob, but we really have focused on Joseph, who was Jacob's uh, 11th son. He had 12. And in this story, uh, it takes up uh, many chapters of Genesis, more than any other story. You would think that it's Moses, but he comes in Exodus. you think maybe it was Abraham, he comes earlier in Genesis 22, and our Genesis uh, 15 and uh, through 22 and, uh, and all that. But, it's, uh, but this is a good chunk of, of uh, Genesis. So it's a really key story. It's not only a key story because of the real estate that is taking up in the first book of the Bible, But it's a, as we've said before, it's a key story because God is sending pictures for us compassionately to let us know what Christ will be like. I'm going to say something that I say occasionally, but I I say it because I think as followers of Christ, there are people that need to hear this message today. I say that because I do, and I'm a Christ follower. I'm going to say this also for those of you that may be exploring, you're tuned in perhaps or you're sitting right in this room. This is a message that will be, this is critical, the the understanding that the Bible is giving us today is critical to understanding God and the real essence of his heart. So let's jump in. The story of Joseph goes like this, for those of you that are just catching up, and for those of you that have been here every week, we should do a pop quiz or you should take a turn and tell the story, because I like to review it every time. Jacob's name was Israel, changed to Israel. He was one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. He had 12 sons. Joseph was the next to the last, the 11th son, and and because he was born to Rachel, one of Jacob's wives, he uh, he, he was endearing to him and had this special relationship with him. We see the same relationship with Jesus, that the father had a very special, endearing relationship when he was baptized, when Jesus was baptized, the father said, this is my son, I love him. This is not a religious relationship. God is not a religious being. He is a relational being. He is a loving being, he's a tender being. He's a powerful being, but he's tender. And so we see this story, in this story between Jacob, the father, and, and, uh, and Joseph. The other brothers got jealous because of the special love that Jacob, the dad, had for his son, Joseph. He made him, of course, as we know, the multicolored coat, the ornamented uh, robe, and the other brothers said, hey, let's kill him. They got so jealous, and so instead of killing him, one of the brothers said, Reuben said, hey, hold up, let's not kill him, let's sell him, let's traffic him, which I, I guess is somehow better in their eyes than killing him and they trafficked him to this group called the Midianites. The Midianites then trafficked him, traveled, they were traveling band at the time, they trafficked him down in the land of Egypt. So you got the whole family living up in the Promised Land, and you got Joseph by himself in Egypt, many miles apart. Joseph was falsely accused, He just like Jesus was. He was put in to, into the ground, just like Jesus was. He was put, in. Joseph was put into a, a prison. He was released by the authority as Christ was released by the authority of the Father. He came to be positioned by the authority to be over all things, just like Christ was positioned by the Father who had the authority, who handed the authority to Christ and said, now you are in charge of all things. There's so many similarities, and because of that position, which makes Christ Unique from all other human beings, all other leaders, all other faith leaders, because all other faith leaders, as we've seen in the past, as we've gone through this story, are respectfully laying in a tomb somewhere around this planet. Christ is not, and because Christ is not, because the power of the resurrection, which came from the authority of the Father, raised him from the dead, placed him in the position to do things that no one else could have done. The power of the resurrection was not just a religious component of Christianity, it was a reality that saves us. Because of that, God had told Joseph that he would become uh, uh, in charge of, the, uh, of all the provisions of, uh, of that part of the world because there was a famine coming. And I don't know if you recognize right now, but we're living in a spiritual famine, not only in the United States of America, but trust me, around the world. And because of this famine, God was providing uh, 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 Joseph with these, these visions, these dreams, prepare yourself in this famine. He prepared himself by storing food all over the country of Egypt and others had to come because the famine was spread all through that region. Of course, the family had to come. And all this time, Jacob the father had been told that the son is dead. We looked at this last week, that the world, much of the world, over 33%, over a third of all Americans believe that Jesus is dead. We looked at that last week, that he has not risen from the grave. And because of that, we, we have a different mindset. But for those of us that believe that Christ is alive, we now have a connection with God. These boys these the brothers who trafficked Joseph they came down they were forced to come down in front of him the the bible says that at the end of time every knee shall bow Every tongue shall confess there will not be an exemption. The entire world of every generation, of every decade, of every century, of every millennial will come before the living Christ and every knee will bow and every tongue confess the picture just keeps giving and giving and giving of Joseph. That the whole world was forced to come for the provision. These brothers come, of course, they didn't know Joseph where he was, where his whereabouts were, they had seen, hadn't seen him for years and years, and they came in front of him, and we pick up the story again. We're gonna review some of the things that we, we've we seen uh, today, uh, or in the past, but I'm telling you that this is a story of the most theological thing that does not make sense. Here's what I mean. Let me say some crazy things here. Why not? If you look at the book of creation, the book of Genesis, and the story of creation, if you look at it from the outside in, as I did before I gave my life to Christ, before you you understand and you look at the creation, it seems far-fetched that that an eternal being said, let there be light and there was light. That just by a spoken word that all the things came into existence. We recognize that that is a mystery and a miracle. If we could fully understand it, we would be fully God. But what I would propose to you that if you really are sincere and you're using your logic that the idea that everything came from a spore, which you have to say, where'd the spore come from? Or the Big Bang, where'd the big or the bang come from? An evolution, which was a theory, but if you dive down deep, because we're getting normalized in our educational systems that it is a reality, it is not. It is a theory, and it's a false theory. It is a theory that says that all of these things just evolved, and scientists, when they're honest, and and even Darwin himself questioned his own theory, by the way, that that is far more fetched than a powerful being because when you look at evolution or the Big Bang or the spore theory or whatever it is, for, uh, you know, the, 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 all the theories that just to think that every molecule And every layer, every nano layer of this this whole thing, this whole operation came into being and fell completely into place. I quote my favorite uh, preacher, Tony Evans. He said, it's like having all the little parts of a Swiss watch and the watchmaker just threw it up into the air and it all came down perfectly in place. That's far-fetched. I believe that there's a creator who spoke all things into existence that had so much ingenious creativity and power to make it happen. See, that's believable. Some people get snagged on the the virgin birth, but when you look at the plan that death came through one man, and that, that our righteousness and salvation comes through one man that you have to bypass the blood of Adam that, that, that causes us, that's in our blood and our DNA to cause it. It is a brilliant plan. And I understand it doesn't subtract from the mystery and the miracle of all these stories, but when you really sincerely dig down and you begin to look at it, you think, man, this is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant plan that God has. I mean, I could keep going on, and perhaps I will. But all of these theological things that if you really sincerely lean in and you're serious about finding out that is there truly a real God, because some people don't want a true true God, they want a religion God. But when you recognize that there is a living God and he has his fingerprints on you, now you have to deal with that. And that's why sometimes we don't want to deal with that. But of all of these theological mysteries and miracles, here's the one that beyond creation, beyond one man comes with salvation, beyond the virgin birth, beyond the resurrection, beyond all these things that makes no sense. And and, and here it is. It is the unconditional love of God. How in the world could God love us in our brokenness, And all of it because we live in such a cancel culture that it makes no logical sense. Watch, Romans chapter five, verse seven. If you really wanted to know the core of God, if you wanted to know in such a way that you you get past all of the the dust balls in the corner. And what I mean by that is sometimes we get hung up in the little teeny theological things and miss the essence of who God is, and here's who it is. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Righteous man, in other words, hey, I'm gonna go to bat for you. Though a good man might someone, uh, a good man someone might possibly dare to die for. Our police force, our military, put themselves on the front lines for us. But God demonstrates his love for us in that he is distinct from us as human beings that while we were still sinners, while we were turning our backs on him, while we hated him, while we didn't want anything to do with him, he sent his only boy, just one, one son, Christ Jesus, to give his life and be martyred and to die for us. Okay, that's theologically beyond my comprehension. Sometimes when we look at this it is so it's almost too good to be true Therefore religion kicks in And what religion says is that this is not perhaps quite good enough That somehow we have to have an ounce in there of human effort to be able to earn our way to God, to make sure that, it, that, we, that we can say, hey, I did this, I didn't commit this particular sin, only this particular sin, I came on these particular days, I go to church, I do this, I read my Bible and, and everything, and therefore I'm okay with God. And so when you look at religion, I'm going to show you some pictures. If you're a bit squeamish and I'm serious, uh, you can close your eyes, m- you know, pray and meditate for about 60 seconds and I'll tell you when you can open up. But here's what religion looks like. Now, these guys have put hoods over their heads and they're beating, they're whipping their backs with, with leather and with little t- chunks of, of metal in those leather. And you can see the blood on their shorts. In order to win favor... With their deity. Here's another one. They're they're stringing themselves up. You can see the blood on his chest to make to try to win favor with God. Sometimes you think, Is this really real? This is this is very real and contemporary. These are contemporary shots. The next one. Look at this. They've these are uh, they were called limons, or lemons, we call them limes, and they're like plugged into their skin to draw and to create pain and finally here's one for you if that didn't get it for you. Now we look at this and we think, okay, that's just, that's out there, right, for us in our American culture. It's out there. This is not uncommon around the world. I've been part in parts of the world where I've seen people, we can take the picture off the screen by the way, thank you, a little distracting. But I've been in places of the world where I've seen people crawl on their knees for about three football fields. I've been places in the world where I've seen these things where they're torturing themselves in order to win favor with God. Now, we look at that and say, that's really foreign. We would use that word, that's foreign. But what I'm going to propose to you today is that our talk about unconditional love is not only how to meet God, but it's when you meet him and how to have a relationship with him. Because even some of you are Christ followers, and you're tormenting yourself over something in the past, over a pattern or behavior in the present, and I I want to, to allow the word of God to turn that upside down today. That every single one of us, because we live in a, in this cancel culture, and a conditional culture, that we've been conditioned toward conditionality, that we have to say, okay, let me recalibrate again, okay? So um, let me frame, before we get into Joseph's story, this verse, which is, there's a lot of depth in the book of Job. In the book of Job, he writes these, these words. Now, rem, rem, remember, Job is going through the absolute worst nightmare of his life. He's lost his property, his family, everything. And then he asks this question, why is life given to a man whose way is hidden? In other words, we don't get to see everything. Why is this happening to me? I don't see it, I don't understand it, I don't like it, I don't want it. And if I could just pull back the curtain between us and heaven, I'm like, oh, I see. I see my wife asked me today some some spiritual arrows happening and my wife asked me that what is this I go, I don't know but here's what I do know I trust God Amen. I trust God that he's got it in control I trust God that Christ has the authority and sometimes we just th- these are things that happen and, and we trust God. Because no matter if we can see what's happening, why what's happening, all these things, God is still behind the will. Yes. Yes. Lord. God is still behind the wheel. Amen. Yeah. All right. I'll get we'll get there. We pick it up in the story in Genesis chapter forty-two. The brothers come. Joseph is kind of playing a little cat and mouse with them and they say this because they are living like you and I are the hidden life. We're living we we all are living the hidden life. In other words, we don't get to see everything, right? We don't know why good things happen, bad things happen all the time. The brothers said to one another, surely we are being punished because of what we did years ago. Now, let's frame it. Joseph has already saved them. He has already said, "Come on down." He's already said, "Approach me," just like Jesus has said, "Come on down, come to me," and I, I, want you to, I want you to know me. I want to talk to you. I want to have a relationship. So now they've already bridged the gap. All right, and the reason I'm pointing that out is for us Christ followers that Christ has already bridged the gap. But there are some where the gap of salvation has been bridged. But the relationship is still fractured in your mind and your heart because I'm still doing this, or I did this, or I'm divorced, or I had an abortion, or I was an abuser, or I did all of these things. And even though we believe that God would forgive, sometimes people don't forgive him because people don't forgive. It begins to seep into our understanding if God is gonna forgive. And God, we have to remind ourselves that God is distinctive from human beings. And that's tough, because we're living in a sea of eight billion of us. We're swimming in a sea of eight billion of us. Where people like us, they don't like us, they like us one day, they unlike us the next. They unfriend us, they do a lot of people, and like I've said many times, I don't even like most of you people, okay? Just saying. (laughs) I'm kidding you, I like you. We're being punished by because of our brother. I, I gotta stop again. I'm sorry. This is years. They've carried this monster with them for years. They never even reconciled it to God, much less Joseph. Apparently, they've never gone to, to God and said, Man, I really, wow, what were we thinking? It was a moment of rage, it was a moment of. Envy and jealousy was, man, I, I, God, I'm really sorry. Obviously, they haven't dealt with it in years. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for this life. The movie keeps playing in their mind, but we would not even listen. That's why this distress has come on us. And Reuben, we've seen this in weeks past. Reuben, the older brother, said, Hey, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account. Of what for his blood. See, this is our first instinct, often when things go bad. I lost my job, I've done something wrong. I've lost my job, something's wrong with God me and God. Something's off with me and God. Now sometimes, hey, we might be at a rhythm with God. We might be at a rhythm with God, but listen, God's love faucet never turns off. It never gets lower. It's never running on high, low, spray, not spray. You know, my, my you know, faucet is so fancy these days. I, I, I got to fiddle with it. I just want to rinse a pan out. That's not God. It's a steady flow. It's a fire hose of grace. It's a fire hose of love. love. If it weren't, how we would be all sitting here this morning and wondering if God even likes us. If God even has, like, he's even a friend, or has God unfriended us? What a horrible thought. And yet all of us in our worst hidden moments when we can't figure out the why, there's a delivery sometimes that's needed. A delivery of a new message, a delivery of a new recalibration, a delivery of a reminder, and says, hey, something's different with God. Here's what they didn't understand in Genesis 42, 23. They did not understand that Joseph could understand them. We often can't understand that Christ can understand, can understand us. We think he's there, we're here. No. It says the Bible says that he was tempted in every single way. He gets us. Joseph. Uh, they didn't think that Jesus Joseph could understand him since he was using an interpreter, and he turned away, and he began to, to, to weep because it broke his heart. It breaks God's heart when we've bridged the gap and we still got this thing in the back of our mind that maybe he hasn't forgiven us. Now watch this. What a beautiful picture. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 1. Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, now let me draw a picture. When Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter four, after he was tempted, it said the angels attended to him. When he could not stand it any longer, he said, I need to step away from my attendance, have everyone leave my presence, so there was no one with Jesus, or Joseph, when he made himself known to his brothers. We're told in the Bible, at the fullness of time, that Christ stepped out of eternity into the earth, into, onto the planet. We're told in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say God loved the world, he so loved the world that he became so pregnant with love that it had to give birth in that moment. We're told that, that, that he couldn't stand it anymore. And Jesus, with all the attendants of heaven, the the, the creatures, the, the angels that would attend to him, all the attendants of heaven, Jesus said, it's time. I can't stand it anymore. I love them so much that now I'm going to make myself known to them. And no one can go with me. And I'm going to step out of eternity by myself. What An amazing Savior we have. Amazing. Just look at the compassionate picture of the gospel according to Genesis. When Jesus could no longer control himself before his angels, he cried out, I got to step out and I've got to make myself known. How incredible is that? In Genesis chapter 45 and verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. See, this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. This is what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, who everybody hated. Come over here. Let's have dinner together. This is what Jesus said to the woman at the well, who no one liked and marginalized. Let's have a drink of water together. Let's sit down at the well together. Let me get into your story together. This is our God. It's time to stop fussing about pre-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, mid-trib, up-trib, down-trib. Are those things important? Yeah, but it's all a mystery. Come on, we have to we have to center ourselves on the essence of a loving, unconditionally loving God. Oh, that is our message. Yes. Theology is important, absolutely. Doctor important, absolutely. But let's be careful. I just oh, anyway, that's a big story. Forget it. <laughs> Two major leaders in this country that I know, both of them are having such a quagmire with each other over something that doesn't matter. As the world looks on and they're desperate for the love of Christ. Man, I'm worked up. I think somebody slipped an extra vitamin in my oatmeal or something. It's so important. It's so important. This right here, when Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me, is the essence of our God. That while we were yet sinners, Christ said, come on. Think about that. What an incredible picture. And when they'd done so, he said, I'm your brother. I'm making myself known. The one you sold into Egypt I know you're distressed. I know you've been carrying this guilt. Don't be distressed. And I know you're angry with yourself. I know that some of you that are online right now, sitting in this room, are continually beating yourself up because you're angry at yourself for something that you did. I didn't raise my kid right. I'm not raising him right right now. I'm not treating my spouse right. I'm unfaithful in this. I'm watching stuff I shouldn't watch. And somehow you think that God has minimized the flow of grace. He has not. He has not. Should we straighten these things out? Should. Should we have repentance and turn around and be in? Absolutely. But from God to you, that love doesn't change. Because if it did, it would be so fickle that none of us would want a part of it. He said, I'm your your brother, Joseph, the one you... So into Egypt, don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was a way to save lives that God sent to me ahead of you. I invite you to read Genesis chapter 45. Here's what's missing. There's no response from the brothers. Hmm. There's no response. Sometimes the silence in the Bible is really amazing. Now, you would think, if you and I were sitting there like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) I mean, at least if they didn't say that, Joseph, they should have said something to their brothers like, hey, let's huddle up. I think he really means it. He's really going to forgive us. I think we're off the hook. Man, you know we were thinking we're going to land. He was in prison X number of years. We're going to get two X. He's going to take our heads off, and he's going to humiliate us. He's going to make us naked in front of everybody and then really just kill us. He's going to tar and feather us. He's going to do something. He's going to run us over with a whole herd of horses. He's going to do something. He's not doing any of that. There's no response, and there's no response for a reason, because there's still a movie playing in the back of their head. There's still a movie playing in the back of their head. We are conditioned for conditionality. Look, we all know in our marriages, they're, just, they're trigger things, right? You can say it. And it's just, boy, that's a, that's a wildfire. And And sometimes we play that card intentionally. Here comes the trigger card. Someone told me last week after the service, he goes, "Hey, we've been married for many years. I forget how many years. We've been married for many years." And he goes, "Steve, you know what the secret is?" I'm like, "No, you know what? What is it?" He goes, "Well, we plan two beautiful dinners out each week. She goes on Tuesday, and I go on Thursday." Like, well, I don't know. If that's good. That's not good. We learn from one another. Let me remind you that Jacob, the dad, was a schemer. That they cheated him out. They cheated his brother Esau out. Let me remind you that their great uncle Laban, oh, they had heard the story. Oh, he had tricked Isaac. There was trickery going all through this family. Oh, when God called Jacob to reconcile with his brother, he said, maybe I can pay him off. He didn't believe in unconditional love. So how are these boys? And so they come together, and this is what we we see. Here's here's the here's the, the reason why today's message. For Christ died for sins, let's say it together, once for all. Now let's all say it. For Christ died for sins once for all. That's it. He don't. He doesn't have to do it again. Oh boy! Wow. Okay, Bob really blew it on that one. I got to go back to the cross. No, it's once for all. And watch this: the righteous Jesus for the unrighteous us. Why? To bring you to God. That was it. To bring you to God. Now we're told in the book of Hebrews. I want you to look at the the permanent eternal words here. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests throughout the Old Testament. Since death prevented them to con- from continuing in office, you know, they died, they couldn't keep offering sacrifices. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always, lives to intercede so look at those words forever permanent completely always forever permanent completely always forever permanent completely always the next time you doubt god's grace you say to yourself oh no I'm speaking out loud these words against the temptation or the tempter that is trying to tempt me that God's love for me has diminished. Nope, let me say it out loud so everybody around me can hear. It's forever, it's permanent, it's completely, and it's always. There is no gray area in any of those words. No gray area in any of those words. I want to share with you, we're going to close with one verse that 35 years ago, now many of you have heard many sermons, messages, podcasts across the year. There was one message that I heard 35 years ago using the next verse that we're gonna read and it has stuck with me every month of every year of my life. Do I have your attention? And it's stuck with me because it's such a, as a Christian, and when I have doubted God's grace, we get to understand in our hidden life how it makes God feel. When he has gone to the cross, and yet we doubt if that was good enough. Think about it. When Joseph's uh, brothers, Jacob now and the story has died, we are in the last chapter of the book of Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father Jacob was dead, they said, what if? That's where it starts, guys. What if? What if God, I know, I here's what I hear in the Bible, but what if, that's where it starts. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us? What if Jesus holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Do you know there are people that you love that that think that about God? Do you know that maybe there are times and the hidden things that you can't make sense of that you might believe that? So they sent word to Joseph, and hey, how about a little more trickery since it lives in our family? Hey, dad left these instructions before he died. No, he didn't. They're lying. Dad left these instructions before he died. And this is what you're to say, Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly, so please forgive their sins of the servants of the God of, of your father. Isn't it cool how we can get so religious in really tough times? Isn't it stupid how we think we can trick God with our religiosity? I mean, they, after Joseph has saved them, he's given them everything, he's invited them, everybody down, he said, Don't be distressed. Come to me all oh, you are burdened and heavy laden and weighed down. Come to me, I know you're angry with yourself, but I'm not, I love you. Mm. And yet they're playing this stupid game. Hey, dad said before he died, forgive, forgive the, the boys. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. As if he would say, Guys, what else are you looking for? Hmm. I died on the cross. I mean, what else are you looking for here? You see it? And here's what this guy said in this sermon 35 years ago. Whatever sin that you think that God can't forgive, that means that sin is more powerful than the blood of Christ. I'm like, oh God, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that anything I'm, I'm doing, have done, will do. I have thought that the blood wasn't good enough. Think about that. So the next time you're tempted to think, that God's love has diminished towards you. Even as a follower of Christ, listen, it's forever, it's permanent, it's complete, it's always, and there's nothing, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. The power of Christ's blood. Now we're gonna celebrate this morning the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do that because we are called to remember and to recalibrate and to say, wow, God, some of you like me this morning, like, I needed that. I needed that. Now, guys, with the, the communion trays, can you hold up for one second before you before you get going? Thank you because I don't, want, I don't want us to be wrestling. Can, you, can we, I want, for those of you that are Christ followers, I want you to pray right now, just wherever you're sitting, because I want to speak to those of you that are exploring God. This could be a life-changing message for you, whether you're at home or right here, this could be a life-changing message for you because it gets to the essence of who God is. I know religion has taught you that you gotta do a certain thing and all this. I, I know that religion has taught some of you that there's some some sins and some other sins, some special days and not special days. You're not gonna find that in the Bible. We are all sinners equal in need of a savior. You have to acknowledge that to God, or else you'll never see that you're you, you need a savior. We're praying for you right now, sincerely. We're praying for you because, there's, here's why, because we've all gone through this portal of confusion, like, where is God, What is all, and there's so many theological things that we can't understand, and they need that, that. But let's keep it to simplicity. You, like everyone sitting in this room, you, like the other 8 billion people on this planet, are a sinner. You're broken, imperfect. The problem is that God is not. You have two choices. You can be perfect, and then you can, you can be in God's presence. That's not going to happen. You can try and try. You cannot do that. Or you can th- come through Christ, the Savior, who shed His blood on the cross. There is no other. There is no other sacrifice that's coming for us. There's no other offering that's coming for us. So you, I'm inviting you now to trust in Christ alone acknowledge to God that you're a sinner God you do you speak in your heart language your own prayer but something to this effect God I'm a sinner and I need a Savior right now I trust in Christ and in the power of his blood that he spilled on Calvary's cross on the cross I trust in Christ alone Christ was the Lamb of God who poured his blood out mysteriously, miraculously. Salvation came through one man. We saw it today. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus for us. I'm going to trust in that. That's God's plan. That's God's only plan. It's forever. It's complete. It's, it's permanent. And it's always Why not trust in Christ alone? For those of you that are looking for him, I trust in Christ alone. I'm a sinner, I need a savior. And I transfer, I'm asking for a transfer, God. I'm turning my old life in and I'm asking in turn that you ignite a new life in me. Is that your prayer? Speak to him right now. Speak to him right now. Settle it, settle the gap. and and literally bask in thankfulness for the love of God who loves you just the way you are. Come to him. I trust in Christ alone. We're praying for you. I trust in Christ alone. Father, as we remind ourselves of the essence of who you are today through this, this remembrance of The body that was broken, symbolized through the bread. The blood that was shed by our Savior, our Messiah, our Lamb of God, pictured through this juice being poured. We thank you, God. It seems those words aren't enough. We thank you. We recalibrate, we refresh our minds with the the unconditional, permanent, forever, always complete love that you give. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us, and special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.